All right, everyone, and welcome back to the Talking Redbird Baseball Podcast. My name is Lucas Van Pelt, and I am your host. This is the first episode of the actual regular season, so I wanted to wait. I had an episode recorded last week before opening day, and actually it may have been – when was opening day? Yeah, last week before opening day. And, you know, normally I record in 10 to 15-minute increments, so that way if I have to go and edit something or whatever, I don't have to redo the whole episode and – I was just on a roll, I guess, last week, and I recorded the full 35-minute thing in one sitting. I was, again, I was just kind of on a roll, whatever, go to listen to it back before I upload it, and half of the audio is is muffled. I sound like I'm talking underwater, so I was kind of annoyed. Opening day was just a couple days after, so I didn't really have enough time to, to redo it. I had thrown my notes away, you know, things like that, so I was just like, you know what? Okay, I'm just going to wait. I will just let opening day pass, and during our next off day, I will record my next one. So that's what it is. You know, that's what we're doing now. So I officially have some games to talk about, and we're going to go ahead and get started. So, you know, this is why I made this podcast is for people, you know, people know that I watch the Cardinal games a lot. People know that I pay attention. So I had tons of people on a daily basis asking me all sorts of questions about the games. And, you know, while I love answering all them, sometimes it does get a little overwhelming. So I figured this was, you know, a little bit of a better outlet. It's a way for people that maybe don't have a chance to watch the games during the week or whatever the case may be. Maybe they don't want to stay up that late to, you know, just listen to one 30-minute episode a week, get get caught up on the games, who's hot, who's not, you know, what players are going on, what what storylines are going on, things like that. And, you know, they can keep up with the Cardinals maybe if they don't have time to watch a game every single night. So, so I'm excited to get into the actual games. We have six now to talk about, three with the Blue Jays, three with the Atlanta Braves. We're six games in. We start a series with the Milwaukee Brewers tomorrow. It'll actually, by the time you guys are listening to this, it'll be today. Um, Jack Flaherty is starting tonight. So um, not to get ahead of myself, but we'll talk about the six games before this. And we'll go on from there. So one thing I do want to talk about before we get into the episode, and again, you guys don't have to do this, but something that I like to do with my podcast is whether you're on Spotify, Apple, whatever the case may be, there on the bottom left, once you click on the episode where my logo is in the background, there's the pause button there. On the bottom left part of the screen, there is something called playback speed. So there'll be a little number there or a little icon. You can click that. And essentially change, either slow down or speed up, um, how fast you listen to the podcast. Now, 1.0 is the default listening speed. I like to speed that up to 1.5. It just allows me to get through things a little quicker. You can still clearly like see, I'm sorry, <laughs> um, hear what I'm, what I'm saying. It's not too fast to where you can't understand me. I try to talk a little slower during these podcasts because sometimes I'm explaining stats or saying players' names that are hard to you know pronounce, things like that. So if you increase the playback speed a little bit like that, you can get through, let's say, a 30-minute podcast in 20, 22 minutes. So it just shortens it a little bit. And plus, when you turn it up a little bit faster, I sound a little smarter. So (laughs) um, another bonus as well. So that's just something you guys can try. Again, you don't have to. If it's a little too much, I totally understand. But that's what I like to do for my podcast. And some people may not know that that function even exists. So I thought I would point it out here at the beginning if you want to you know, continue to listen to my podcast a little quicker that way. So yeah, so let's get into the game. So opening day was last Thursday, so eight days ago. We opened a series 
against the Toronto Blue Jays. We had a game Thursday, obviously opening day. We had an off day Friday, played Saturday and Sunday. Now, most people have asked me why we have an off day immediately after opening day, and that's usually for scheduling purposes. They have so many events and people coming out to the stadium for opening day that just in case it gets rained out, they need a backup plan so that, you know, people are flying in from all over the country. A lot of the Hall of Famers don't always live in St. Louis, things like that. So they have to, you know, they get the Clydesdales from Anheuser-Busch. They have to get all the F-150s, that kind of thing. So so opening day was Thursday. It was incredible. I got to go to the game. There's just no other atmosphere quite like opening day at Bush Stadium. You know, I know, you know, obviously every stadium goes a little bit above and beyond for opening for opening day or the home opener. It just it just seems a little different. Obviously, I'm a little biased, but the atmosphere is unreal. You know, and I've I've been to a couple playoff games. I've been to two opening days now, and there's just really nothing like it. Opening day is a beast in and of itself. We get there, the game time is at three o'clock, we get there at noon, it's packed. You know, the, the atmosphere is crazy. There's nothing really negative to talk about with the season so far, you know. So I think there's just positivity in the air. You know, everybody's excited, things like that. And, of course, it was incredible with the Clydesdales, the the F-150s bringing in, the Hall of Famers, the coaches, the current players, all, all you know, all kinds of stuff. So they um, – it, it was just incredible. Yeah, it's, it's hard to put into words unless you go, unless you just go to the game. You know, again, playoff playoff games at least have a similar vibe to it, just because playoff games are so important. That's you know why you, why these players play is a is a playoff game. So those are pretty close. But again, there's no, there's nothing negative yet. It's just nothing but positivity. It's uh it's just incredible. If you guys haven't gone, anybody listening haven't haven't gone to opening day, I highly uh. Highly recommended at least some point in your life. So, so about the game, you know, opening day has this aura of again all the positivity, all the introductions, all that kind of stuff. But there's also a baseball game to be played, you know, and it's the stadium and it's the season starting. So, Miles Michaelis got got the ball with Wainwright on the disabled list. He did not pitch very well. The bullpen didn't really pitch very well either. Only you know the they we made three four pitching changes. Zach Thompson looked okay. And, you know, he's looked pretty good this whole time, actually, since then. But other than that, our, and this is going to be a theme that I'm going to talk about all six games, our pitching didn't look very good opening day. You know, our offense looked great. I have a couple stats that I'll read later about how good our offense is to really put it in perspective. But um, our offense looked great. Pitching didn't look so good. You know, the game itself was pretty good. There was back and forth. You know, they took the lead. We tied it. You know, we took the lead. They tied it. They took the lead. We took the lead. All, all kinds of stuff. It seems like they were scoring just about every every single half inning. Obviously, the the ending didn't have you know what all the fans there wanted. We we ended in a loss, but overall it was a good game to watch. And and then like again, the next day was an off day. Saturday, we played uh, the Blue Jays again for game two of the series. Jack Flaherty got the start against Kevin Gosman. Now he is. Um, Alec Manoa started for the Blue Jays game one. Kevin Gosman started for them game two. Now, again, most people listening to this don't really know many players outside of the Cardinals um, organization. So just for some context, those two players both finished top five in the Cy Young voting in the American League last year. So two very good pitchers that the Cardinals you know, faced right off the, right off the bat. The, the Blue Jays are a World Series contender in their own right. You know? So it's not like we started the season off with some, with some dud. You know? So game two, Jack Flaherty, Jack Flaherty started, and he had one of the more interesting box scores that I can remember. He went five innings, no hits, no runs, pitched great in that perspective, but also allowed seven walks, one hit by pitch. He only struck out four. 
his stuff was there. Clearly, he didn't get any hits or he didn't allow any runs. But it just didn't have the command that he wanted. So I'm kind of back and forth between whether that was a good start or not. I mean, anytime you're walking more batters than you than you're throwing innings um that's not great you know you're you're eventually going to get burned by that he was able to have sharp enough stuff that he was able to you know get through five innings without again allowing any runs he was able to get outs when he needed to throw his sharp sharper breaking stuff and get outs but that is a that's a risky line that you want to tow and I think eventually it's going to burn him unless he unless he shapes up a little bit. Again, not what you want, but I think if you're Jack Flaherty, he's been injured on and off the the better part of the last three years, essentially. So you want a couple starts where you at least know that your stuff is there. You know, again, no hits, no runs. That's great. I think if you're Jack Flaherty, you want to be able to walk off the field, look up, and be like, oh, I didn't. You know, that's great. I, I want to put up a zero today. Again, the seven walks is not ideal, but that's something he can at least build off of you know, in the future. And he's starting tomorrow against the Brewers. So I'm eager to see how he does with that. He's typically a little bit better at home. So he pitches in Milwaukee tomorrow. So we'll see if he's able to replicate some of that. Again, maybe have only allow a couple hits, maybe, maybe dial back on the walks a little bit. I'll start to view more positivity in his way, you know, or, you know, give him a little more positivity. If he, if he has a blow up outing, then I'm, I may venture more towards, Um, the blow up side of things again when there's no sample size here at the beginning of the season we don't have a lot to base it off of so so every start you know is a lot it it means a lot essentially so um but we were able to win saturday's game jack flaherty again pitched okay at least put up no runs which is kind of all all that you want bullpen was able to do the job uh we scored just enough runs off kevin gossman we were able to win four to one on saturday which brought our record to one and one at the time so then we moved to sunday we faced uh, Chris Bassett, who is the – he was the big off uh, offseason pickup for the Toronto Blue Jays. He's their third starter. And we had Jordan Montgomery pitching for us that day. And he, he did okay. He didn't, he, he didn't have the sharpest stuff. Again, five innings, handful of hits, three runs, couple walks, couple strikeouts. It's technically considered a quality start. He didn't look the best, but our offense is good enough that as long as you can put up about two, three, hell, even four runs in a five-inning period, I think your offense is going to give you a shot to win every single day. So for the most part, when I get to talking about the Brave series in a minute, my, my tone will change a little bit. But but we were able to win Sunday's game. Our offense exploded. We won 9-4. to four. Chris Bassett got interviewed after the game, and he's like, you know, I've been in this league a long time. He's 34. He's like, I've been in this league a long time, and he's like, very rarely can I remember my stuff getting hit that well, you know, from the beginning of the game, off the jump, you know. Normally, I can at least have one of my pitches working, like I may, I may be able to hit my fastball, but my curveball's always going to be in the dirt, and I can't locate that. Or maybe my curveball's on today, but I can't locate a fastball today, something like that. You know, pitchers have off days, but he was like, this is the first time in a while that I can remember all my pitches are just getting jumped on right away. Um, so the offense has really showed the first three games what we're really capable of, and we were able to win that game as well, bringing our record at the time to 2-1. and one. So, you know, we were a Ryan Helsley blow-up on opening day away from sweeping the Toronto Blue Jays, which would have been an incredible way to start the series because, again, they're a World Series contender in their own right. Um, yeah, so a, a good way to start the season, 2-1, and one, that kind of thing. The next day, we started the series with Atlanta, and there's no way to sugarcoat it. We played 
absolutely horrible against the Atlanta Braves the last three days. We got swept. We played Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I'm recording this on Thursday. So the last three days we lost. We lost four to eight on Monday. We lost one to four on Tuesday. We lost two to five on Wednesday. Or sorry, one to four Tuesday, two to five Wednesday. So um, you know they're not they're not really close. Three, two, five, four games. I mean we got beat by three plus runs every single game. You know our. our the the name which brings our record this this season thus far to two and four. Again, I'm I'm not looking at records too much this early because a lot can change. Right now, the Pirates, Reds, and the Cubs are all projected uh, to make the playoffs, and that's obviously not going to happen eventually. You know, by the end of the season. So, uh, uh, records wise, I'm not concerned. Of course, you want to start out better and you want to win every game, obviously. Um, but I have faith that things will start to turn around a little bit. Our pitching has just been atrocious. It's not been good. We've gotten hit with some bad luck. So there, there's a stat that I want to talk about with you guys called batting average on balls in play. It's B-A-B-I-P, right? That means, you know, every time that a batter hits a ball in fair territory, what are the odds that it drops in for a hit, right? Normally, it's around 30%, 28%, 30%, right? It's, gonna, it's always going to hover right around what, like, the average is for most players. You know, most most players in the major leagues are going to hit – 240, 250, 260. That would I would say it's the average. And then you have, you know, players that hit 275. You have players that hit 300. So it's always going to reflect that a little bit. And especially in the first couple innings, the first, you know, time or two that all the Cardinals starting pitchers are seeing the lineup for the first time, they have we're we're allowing a batting average on balls in play over 40%, almost 50%. So that's not essentially what that stat tells you is that the Cardinals do have, you know, have had a lot of bad luck with their starting pitching a little bit. Opposing teams essentially are not going to hit 400 to 500 off of us the rest of the season. We're going to have some regression back down to what to what it is around around 30%. Hopefully all that makes sense. So, yes, the starting pitching hasn't been good. I'm not trying to, you know, form a crutch for them. The starting pitching has not been good. But they have been getting a little unlucky. I've been talking to my buddy about this a lot too and my brother as well. The amount of bloop hits that I've seen, the amount of hits that are just barely off of the bat, you know, just blooped over shortstop or blooped over first base or whatever the case may be. I mean, those always happen in baseball, but I can't remember ever seeing so many. And and I don't know – I have a feeling it's due to the new shift rules. So like I said a couple episodes ago, the Cardinals are not – or not just the Cardinals, but in the major leagues, you're not allowed to shift anymore. You can still kind of shade towards second base if you think that a player is going to um, you know, hit it up the middle or whatever. People can still play you to do certain things. But there's you can't have any infielders in the outfield grass anymore. They all have to be touching the infield dirt when the pitch is thrown. So that essentially allows a lot more room in the in the in the shaded early outfield where a lot of blue pits can fall. And the Cardinals have a lot of pitchers that pitch to contact, which when you have the best infield defense in the league, that's a strategy that has worked in years past. Almost all their relievers and all their starters are designed to pitch to contact. That that's just how the Cardinals do things, which is great until the shift rules change. To where I now I think that that's affecting it a little bit. There there's so many blue pits that the Cardinals are allowing. Again, that should regress back down a little bit. Um, but overall, the pitching staff has not been good at all, and the, it's been the case for two years now. I mean, Cardinals think we traded for Jordan Montgomery and Jose Quintana at the trade deadline last year, which both of those worked out swimmingly. 
but then nothing was done this offseason at all. You know, you're relying on Jack Flaherty and Steven Matz, who are both injury or prone. You're you're relying on Miles Michaelis, who's 35 years old. You're relying on Adam Wainwright, who's 41 years old. You know, you're relying on Jake Woodford, who's never been a full-time starter in his entire uh, career in the major leagues. Jordan Montgomery is about the safest bet that you can have right now, and he's not even looking super sharp either. So I think we'll still make the playoffs, but you can't expect to go and win a World Series with the current starting rotation that you have right now. So um, so overall, the last six games, we're 2-4. and four. Pitching has looked atrocious. Bullpen's been about 50-50. I think it, it has the potential to be a lot better than it has been, but Helsley's looked great after that first opening day. A uh, little mishap there in the ninth inning. Zach Thompson's looked good. You know, you have a lot of relievers that are looking good. Our offense, on the other hand, has looked incredible. The last three days against the Braves, still not doing pretty good. You know, it, it's not as good as we did the first three games, but overall, you know, it's not like we're getting shut out. We still combined to score you know, over half a dozen runs this last this last uh, series. So a couple other storylines I want to talk about before I get into the specifics of, you know, who's hot, who's not, things like that, um, was the Tyler O'Neill incident on Tuesday night against the Atlanta Braves. So Ronald Acuna Jr., who is the Braves' right fielder, has an absolute cannon of an arm, probably top five in the league when it comes to arm speed and uh, velocity of, of, of balls thrown, that kind of thing. Now, if for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, Tyler O'Neill rounded third and got thrown out at home. It did it did not look like he was running fast, but the third base coach sent him anyway. So he got clo- he got thrown out by a mile at home plate. So after the game, Ali Marmal, the manager, had some choice words for O'Neill, essentially saying, "Hey, this this type of effort is not going to be tolerated." And it will be addressed and people like that, you know, it doesn't meet the Cardinal standard of of play and hustle and and effort and it will be addressed and it will, you know, he will have consequences and he didn't play in yesterday's game. So I think Ali Marmol will never go to the media in the public and address something publicly without going to that player first. But you're five games into the season. Tyler O'Neill is always hurt. So, you know, I tr- I'm not picking a side. I, I love that Marmol has this, you know, we have this standard of play. If you're not going to meet it, no matter who you are, you're going to sit the bench. And I love that. A little bit of tough love never hurt anyone. But also, I see Tyler O'Neill's point. He's always hurt. And honestly, watching the replay back a hundred times, shame on the third base coach for sending him. He did not need to send him. And you're facing one of the best outfield arms in the league. And it's only game five. I don't blame Tyler O'Neill for for kind of pulling up a little bit. It looked like he definitely could have hustled a little more. Um, I really don't know whose side to take. I think it didn't need to be addressed publicly like Marmol did. And not only did Marmol address it publicly after the game Tuesday night, he doubled down on Wednesday and said a lot more comments on Wednesday as well. That I thought was completely unnecessary. And you don't you don't need like chemistry issues and manager issues, you know, this early in the season when you're trying to get things figured out. But on another on another hand, this I've talked about it a couple times now. This summer, you know, we have a decision to make. We have a lot of mouths to feed offensively. Any any given night, you have Alec Burleson, Dylan Carlson, um, Juan Yepes, all these players sitting at the bench that could all be very well be starters for over half of the teams in the major leagues. So we have we have a good again too much depth is never a problem, but 
at, at some point you're also risking wasting Dylan Carlson's potential on the bench, which the Cardinals have done all too much. Randy Arozarena, Sandy Alcantara, Zach Gallon, you have all these players who the Cardinals have never really given a full chance to. They get traded away and become all-stars. And I don't want that to happen to Dylan Carlson. So, you know, up until Tuesday night, I fully thought Dylan Carlson was probably the player that was most likely to be traded this July for, a, for, for an ace starter. Until Tyler O'Neill's incident, it, it just doesn't seem like, I don't know, I don't want to overreact, but I wouldn't be surprised if he, he may have jumped that list a little bit um, to be traded this July. He's, he's a free agent after next season anyway, and if, he, if this is going to be the way that our management and front office kind of talks about a guy like that, you know, you, you, anybody that watch, watches Tyler O'Neill knows that he, he puts in max effort all the time. Almost too much. That's why he gets injured all the time. So I definitely don't think effort is, is an issue for Tyler O'Neill. Do I think he probably could have given a little more effort? Yes, but it's game five of the season. Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina practically walked to first base every time they got a hit last year, and it was never an issue. So why all of a sudden one of the fastest guys on the team gets gets crucified like this? I don't know. I don't understand it. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, the Cardinals face the Milwaukee Brewers tomorrow against the pitcher's name specifically is Brandon Woodruff. He's the he's one of the Brewers' better pitchers. And Tyler O'Neill has great numbers off of him. So I fully expect him to be in the lineup tomorrow. And he's going to have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. I wouldn't be – you know, I may, I may bet. I'm a big sports better. I may bet on him to get a hit, and I may even sprinkle on him to get a home run tomorrow just to – you know, again, he hits he hits Woodruff well. And also he's going to want to show Marmol up tomorrow. So um, – that's just a little tidbit. So other than that, no really storylines to talk about with the Atlanta Braves. Again, we faced two incredible teams to start the season, um, the Blue Jays, the Braves. I would not be surprised if the Blue Jays and the Braves played in the World Series this year. That's how good and stacked both teams are. So, again, take everything with a grain of salt. There's not a whole lot of sample size to talk about yet. We're only six games in, and the sample size will only continue to grow the more uh, games that we play. So... So yeah, so that so that's kind of the recap of the last six games. I'm gonna go through and talk about kind of who's hot, who's not, that type of thing, and and then at the end of this episode, I'm gonna talk about just a couple little things, and then I will. I'm gonna always end each episode with who we have coming up, what our new couple, our next couple series is gonna look like, whether we're at home, whether we're away, whether any game is televised differently, things like that. So that way people that are listening to this, they can expect like, oh, hey, Tuesday's game is not on Valley Sports, it's actually gonna be on ESPN, or hey, Wednesday's game is actually gonna be on YouTube TV instead of whatever. So we're gonna talk about that a little bit as well. But first, I wanna talk about who's hot, who's not, who's having a really good start to the season, that type of thing. Now, offensively, there's not a whole lot to talk about because the offense as a whole, everyone's looking incredible. I mean, I'm looking at the stats right now of the of the seven guys that have taken the most at-bats for the Cardinals. All seven of them are hitting above 250, and only two of them are hitting below 300, and that's Edmund and Donovan. O'Neal, Arenado, Jordan Walker, Gorman, Goldschmidt, Wilson Contreras, they're all hitting above 300. So, it's a, it's a really good start to the season offensively. Nobody's really struggling. I could say, uh, sorry, Grandma Tony, if you're listening to this, but Tommy Edmond is our worst hitter thus far, and he's still a little bit above league average according to uh, Weighted Rents Created Plus. So, um, And please message me. I'm a, I'm, I'm, I've referenced that stat a couple times. I've explained it a couple times, and I'm going to keep referencing that stat. It's by far the best offensive stat that is out there. But if anybody else needs um, – if people are still confused on what that stat is, I will take the time to explain it 
individually, but I don't want to have to keep explaining what that stat is every episode. So, um, please reach out if you're still not confused. And, and, and you know what? Now that I'm saying it, I'm going to explain it one last time. Um, but when I reference it in the future, just try to, you know, try to remember what it is or uh, date back to this episode to to hear the explanation. So so weighted runs create a plus, right? The weighted means that it's weighted on a scale of 100, meaning instead of, you know, batting average can be all the way at zero, it can be all the way to 1,000, right? Weighted means that 100 is league average. Everything is weighted to on a scale of 100, meaning 100 is league average. So if you are a 110 WRC plus hitter, that means you are 10% above league average overall offensively. Just for reference, the only player above 200 last year was Aaron Judge. He had a 200 wrc plus last year which means he is over double more productive offensively than the average league you know league average player essentially is the best way to think about it so it takes into effect how hard you're hitting the ball what your launch angle is your plate discipline your contact percentage your max exit velocity your average exit velocity essentially how often you're hitting the ball how hard you're hitting the ball how, you know are you taking walks are you just spraying the ball and getting a bunch of singles or are you a homer home run threat all every offensive category essentially that you can think of it takes it wraps it in a nice little bow mixes it all up together and weights it on a scale of 100 it's the best way i know how to explain it so when i reference wrc plus in the future just know that's what i'm talking about it, it takes in all these different offensive categories and makes it in one nice little pretty stat now the plus at the end of it is just a physical plus sign which means that it's park adjusted so that's important because there's there's lee or i'm sorry there's uh there's fields in the major leagues that are a little more hitter friendly the, the Cincinnati ball field, obviously course field, the ball flies out of course field. So naturally when you go in and hit, if you play half of your games at course field, your offensive stats are going to be a little inflated or on the other end of the spectrum, like Bush stadium, the Oakland athletic stadium, there's a lot of stadiums that are more pitcher friendly. It's harder to have a lot of really good statistics offensively at Bush stadium overall. So WRC plus again, the weighted means it's on a scale of one to, or it's on a scale of a hundred runs created and then the plus means it's park adjusted so it doesn't matter what park you're playing in you know it factors that into the statistics so essentially that's a it's a great stat to determine you know no matter what ballpark you're playing at no matter if it's windy no matter who's pitching doesn't matter how much are you bringing to the table offensively again that's the best way i know how to explain it hopefully that explains it so on a scale of on on the wrc plus scale again 100 is league average every single player on the cardinals is over 100 so it's we have a tons of depth we have 11 different guys that are over 100 uh on wrc plus no other team has more than like five or six the cardinals have 11 so um our offense is just on another level right now we lead the majors in almost every single category average uh doubles home runs run scored you name it the cardinals lead it in in uh in offense so I, again, I was going to talk about some players specifically on offense that are that are on fire, but it's essentially the whole offense. But I am going to highlight two players, Nolan Gorman, Jordan Walker. It was clear from the jump earlier this year that those two were going to give, be given ample opportunity to to win everyday jobs. And, you know, whether Gorman be playing at DH or second base or 
whether Jordan Walker's playing in left field or right field, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Those two will be playing every day, and they are absolutely taking the opportunity and running with it. They Gorman's having the uh, ten times a better start to the season than I could have ever imagined. He's batting four thirty eight. He leads the Cardinals in slugging percentage, and he leads the Cardinals in OPS. And he's second on the Cardinals in on-base percentage. Now, why that's significant is last year he struck out a ton. He didn't really take his walks. He was essentially a three-true outcome hitter, which means you either strike out, you walk, or you hit a home run. And that's all he was doing. And now his on-base percentage is much higher, which means his plate discipline is much better. He's taking his walks. He's not just swinging at everything, trying to hit everything over the fence. He's, he's being much more selective in his pitches. And why that is important is because pitchers are going to start to pick up on that and they're going to give him some some more pitches down the middle that he's going to be able to do damage with. So it's it, it's just going to help him long term. And so, so Nolan Gorman has been incredible. And Jordan Walker, what a start he's had. I mean, it's not been as torrid of a start as Nolan Gorman, but Jordan Walker's hitting over 300. He just hit his first meet, uh, major league home run the other day. He's second on the team in RBIs. And he's third on the team in OPS. He's having a great, and he he's had a hit in all six games. So he has a he has a six game hitting streak to start the season. So what an incredible start! And I honestly expect those numbers to pick up a little bit. You know, um, especially in the power department. Only having one home run in six games is a uh, is a little odd. I think he's he's trying to just he's probably trying to do a little too much at the plate. So once he once he settles down and starts putting good swings on the ball, um, which he already is, but I'm just saying on a more consistent level, um, you'll see those power numbers start to, to increase a little bit. Now on the pitching side of things, again, there's not a whole lot to be positive about. Zach Thompson's pitching really well out of the bullpen. Ryan Helsley's pitching great, just as he always will be. But Giovanni Gallegos has hurt. Wainwright's hurt. A couple other relievers are hurt. Jordan Hicks looks absolutely atrocious. Not one single starting pitcher has looked good so far. Um, again, Jack Flaherty has looked fairly good, minus the walks, but he at least allowed no hits and no runs. He pitches tomorrow against Milwaukee, so he has a chance to prove me wrong. If he if he has a really good start tomorrow uh, against Milwaukee, I can you know I'll, I'll back off a little bit, but I'm just going to need to see it a couple more times before I before I deem anything. You know, um, so pitching wise, not a lot to talk about. The most positive thing that I want to talk about pitching wise is our farm system. We have an off day today. And we have a lot of pitching prospects going tonight. Libertor has looked incredible his first two starts of the spring, or not the spring, of AAA. He's down in Memphis, Matthew Libertor. He, um, I, I feel if the pitching staff up here in St. Louis continues to, to, uh, to struggle, I fully expect him to get the call up um, in the next week or two, really. So, um, And you never know. An injury before that could always force their hand. But he's looking absolutely incredible. He was sitting 93, 94 with his fastball last year, and he's up to 97 this year. So he's looked freaking amazing as well. So so that could be a light at the end of the tunnel as well. Hopefully he proves – I wasn't super high on him in my prospect episode, but hopefully uh, hopefully he proves me wrong whenever you know whenever he decides to come up or whenever the Cardinals decide to bring him up in the next uh, week or two. All right, and I want to end the episode talking about a couple different stats that I think are definitely uh, pertinent. One being related to Jordan Walker. Again, I've talked about Jordan Walker for numerous episodes now. He is a special talent, one of the better prospects that the Cardinals have had in literally 20 years. Again, I can say all that again, but I've already talked about it. But one stat that I think really encapsulates um, just how good he can be you know, immediately for the Cardinals and not just for us, but league wide, he's, he's going to be one of, one of the league's best players. 
um, very, very shortly. And that is six games into the season. He leads the league, not just the Cardinals, the league, all 30 teams in hits or outs. You know, it doesn't always have to be a hit, but batted balls over 100 miles an hour. So a hard hit ball is considered anything off the bat at 95 plus miles an hour. He already leads the entire league in batted balls above 100 miles an hour. Everything he is hitting is hard. Now, even if some some of them are outs, not always them not not always do they drop in for a hit or or a home run or a double or whatever the case may be. Some of them they're hit right at him, right? But it's always an encouraging sign when every single thing that you're hitting, you're hitting very very hard. It means that you have a very safe profile even when you go through struggles where you're having a, an off week if everything you're hitting is very is super super hard like that you're giving yourself a very very good chance to not uh to not really struggle for long periods of time in in this league and to be able to do that at the age of 20 is just ridiculous there are, there are people in their 30s in the major leagues that have worked for 10 years to be able to hit the ball as hard and have the plate discipline that Jordan Walker already has at age 20. he It's just a gift from God. In the next two, three years, I fully expect on him to work on it. He has an incredible work ethic, um, just this absolute special talent. So so that's one, uh, one little tidbit that I wanted to offer. And then the other one I wanted to talk about is two episodes ago, I talked about the new rule changes. And I was eager to see how they were going to affect the game. You know, obviously, I went to opening day. So I was really curious to see how the pitch clock and the, um, the shift rules and all those things um, affected how the game was played. Opening day, it didn't really matter because there were almost 20 runs scored. There were fo- almost 40 hits over over 10 pitching changes combined between two te- both teams. So it was about a three-hour and 45-minute game um, regardless. So it didn't end up mattering. But a couple games into uh, after the first uh, weekend of the series, his name is Jeff Passan. He is a MLB reporter for ESPN. He tweeted something that I thought was really, really interesting. So he compares last year and this year in four different categories. Time of game, the average time of a baseball game last year, three hours and nine minutes. This year is two hours and 38 minutes. Last year, the average batting average through the first weekend was 230. This year is 245. So way more offense. Stolen bases last year in the first weekend, there was only 29 stolen bases. This year, there was over 70. So as you remember, one of the new rules were bigger bases, and a pitcher can only try to pick off twice per at-bat. So, <coughs> for instance, there's a little more strategy involved. Let's say Tommy Edmonds on first base. A pitcher tries to pick him off. Okay, well, that's one. You only get one more. So if I'm Tommy Edmond, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to risk it a little more because even if he tries to pick me off again, then he's going to be completely out, and I can take a 10-step leadoff if I want to. You know, So there's a little more strategy involved, which means – League-wide, there's going to be more stolen bases this year. It's just nice to see um, see it actually come into effect. And then the one that I thought most people would be worried about is the pitch clock. You know, in spring training, I know there the first couple of spring training games in early March, there was a lot of hoopla about, oh, there's a, a pitch clock violation is going to end a game or whatever. Um, there In the first weekend, there was 0.8 violations per game. So not even less than one violation per game. And now that's dropped to 0.6.
Sorry, a little bit of a audio technical difficulty. Um, but yeah, so those stats are pretty pretty cool to see. You know, even three, four games into the season, there's already a little bit of of changes to the game, right? More offense, more stolen bases, while also being 30 minutes shorter. I mean, it's, it's very, very positive changes to the game so far. And I'm eager to see, again, we're only six games in, but I'm just eager to see how it, how it keeps continuing. So, so yeah, so that's my first recap episode. Again, I'm really, I'm really happy to get back into the games. Again, that's why I made this podcast is to get back into the games and do a little weekly recap for people that are not able to keep up with the games as much as they'd like to. So, um, again, anybody listening, please feel free to always send me recommendations, things like that. So tomorrow we start a three-game series against the Milwaukee Brewers. We have Jack Flaherty going in game one against Brandon Woodruff. And then we have, let's see here, we have Jordan Montgomery going in game two on Saturday against Eric Lauer. And then Sunday is a day game, and we have Jake Woodford going against Freddie Peralta. So (coughs) I would say pitching-wise we're favored on Saturday, but the Brewers are favored Friday and Sunday. And then after that, we go immediately to Colorado for a three-game set against the Rockies Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And so the next six games are all away, and then next Thursday we start a four-game set against the Pirates back at home. So we don't have another off day until the end of the month, so enjoy about 13 straight days with with the Cardinal game on it. So other than that, I don't really have much else. Again, we talked about who's hot, who's not. With again with such short sample size, I don't have a lot to go off of. But in the in the episodes in the future, I'll be able to be like, well, this guy started slow, but he the last three games he's batting this. You know, um, again with this first episode, I only have six games to go off of, so it's not as uh, not as not as easy. But but I plan. You know, every week I'm going to do a weekly recap episode. I'm going to talk about the games. I'm going to talk about our record. I'm going to talk about where we're at in the standings. I didn't talk about the standings much today because again, it doesn't matter. Cardinals are in last place. It's not going to end up that way, so it doesn't really matter. But other than that, that's all I got for you guys today. Um, look forward to the games starting tomorrow again, and I will uh, I will see you next week.